do you ever avoid saying something because you want to you don't want to jinx something my, my wife and I live up round lake a little ways so to do anything we have to go down round lake and if we ever start to go down round lake and we start hitting all the green lights as you're coming down into Riverdale you never want to say it out loud until you're through the last light because there's always this fear that even though you've gone through 75% of the lights if you say it out loud you're going to get all the red lights from then on but when it's over do you say ah, all green lights because you don't want to jinx it. Well, today, we're going to look at David again. We're still in the story. This is the last Sunday, just so everybody's on the same page. If you're visiting, we have been going through the story, which is a chronological Bible, uh, taking the whole Bible down to 31 weeks. And um, for the next few weeks, we're going to focus, obviously, on Advent and Christmas and Jesus' birth. And then in January, we'll go back and resume the story. But today is the one last Sunday. Because last week, we looked at, sort of in a sense, David the Younger. And how he came to be king, and his faith, David and Goliath, and all of that. And you couldn't have asked for a better beginning. He'd gone through a lot of the green lights. But the issue is, do you make it the whole way? David had a great beginning, but unfortunately, it didn't last. We saw last week that beginning, and the summary phrase, and we talked about it last week, is that he was a man after God's own heart. God had rejected Saul, and he said, I need a man who's after my heart, and he said, I found one in David. And so he chose him to be God's kind of king. And we looked last week at what that would mean to be God's kind of king. And David was a great king. We would expect no less from somebody with that kind of beginning. But sometimes greatness is also seen in how we handle failure. And that's what we're going to look at this week. Because the whole story of David can't be sum summarized in David and Goliath and his faith that allowed him to kill a giant. Part of David's story is also when he blew it. For there was a scandal in David's life. And that's part of the material from this week's part of the story. It's in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. We're not going to read a specific passage. I just want to tell the story if I can. David was now king. He was a great king. And he, through his power and God's blessing, was expanding the kingdom of Israel. And so we hear the story beginning in the spring when kings go off to war. David didn't. That was his first mistake. He sent his army off, but for the first time, as far as I know, the only time it's ever mentioned in all of David's wars and years, this time he said, I'm staying back in the palace. And he sent his army off on war. Always before he'd led them. He stayed in the comfort of his palace. And some nights when people lived on the roofs in the Holy Land, they still do use their roofs like we use our decks. Far partially for space and partially for breeze and the heat. Especially at night. And so David goes out on the roof of his palace, and of course the palace is the highest building other than the temple in Jerusalem. 
And so he's looking over the city and what's he see but a woman bathing on her roof. Nobody from the ground could see her. There's no indication Bathsheba was doing anything inappropriate. She was in the privacy of her roof, but not if you're the king on a higher roof. And so he sees her and decides she's beautiful. And he sends some of his men to get her. Now she's married and he even finds out who she is and knows her and knows her husband. He's one of the officers in David's army. He knows this family. And still he has his men bring her to him and lays with her and of course she gets pregnant. And David's sin is now multiplied. Because not only has he not gone off to war and seen another man's wife and found out she is married and he still takes her, now he continues to make poor choices because he wants to cover up his sin rather than own it and say, I've blown it, I'm sorry, he decides he's going to try and cover it up. And Bathsheba's husband is Uriah and he's in the army, he did go off to war, where David should have been and he wouldn't have had this problem. And so, he first of all tries to bring Uriah home on leave, hoping that he'll sleep with his wife while he's home on leave, and the pregnancy can be explained away as Uriah's baby. But Uriah, showing his character, says, I won't give myself the pleasure of going home and being with my wife when all my friends are serving in the army and they can't be with their wives. So he sleeps out in the courtyard of the palace. David even gets him drunk, saying, oh, he's drunk, he'll go home and sleep with his wife, but he doesn't. And so that drives David to even worse steps. He sends Uriah back to the army, and in Uriah's hand he carries the orders of his death. Because David sends a written order back to the commander of the army, I want you to put Uriah out in front in the heat of battle and pull back so he's killed. And the commander obeys David. And it happens. And Uriah is killed, so now he takes Bathsheba and takes her in, and she's his wife now, one of his wives. And clearly the whole town knew. The whole city of Jerusalem, this isn't going to be some secret. But nobody could say anything because David's the king. And I think David thinks that I finally covered it up. I'm finally free of that sin. I blew it, but I think I got all my bases covered. But what David has forgotten is that there's one person you can't fool, and that's God. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool God. Never are you going to get away from God. And so God sends his prophet Nathan and Nathan, in, in God's direction, uses this wise approach of telling the story. And he comes to the king and he says, King, let me tell you a story, David. There's this poor family, and they got one sheep. They're so poor, that's all they can afford. One sheep. And right down the street, there's this very wealthy sheep who have just flocks of sheep. And this wealthy family has company. And they need to throw a, a, a banquet for the company. And so this wealthy family, rather than taking one of their flocks or sheep, goes down the street 
and takes this poor family's only sheep and butchers it for their feast. Now, this I want you to read with me. This is David's reaction. If you turn over to 2 Samuel 12, Nathan has told David the story, and this is how David reacted. 2 Samuel 12, beginning with verse 5, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. I think that is one of the most powerful moments in Scripture, and there's others. But that moment when Nathan has drawn David in with this story, and, Nathan, and David's righteous anger is burning. And then Nathan says, that's exactly what you have done. You are the man. And that moment is a test, isn't it? A test of David. What will he do when confronted with the truth? No more cover-ups, no more plotting, no more conniving. He's beyond all that. It's out in the open. He has blown it. And that's the real test, isn't it? What do you do when you mess up? And you can't hide it anymore. You see, to me, David's greatness is not just shown in his great deeds. David's greatness is also shown in how he handles his sin. When he's blown it, his real character shows up. Because David took responsibility for his sin at that moment. If you continue to read the story in 2 Samuel, he didn't deny it. He didn't have Nathan killed, and he could have easily done that as the king. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try and justify it. He didn't say, I'm above the rules. I'm the king. He acknowledged his sin. One of the wonderful things we have for David is not only the story of the events of his life, but I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but we also have his journal. Some of us journal in our spiritual journey and what we're thinking about and what we're reflecting. We have David's journal. We call it the book of Psalms. And we have a psalm that we're pretty sure he wrote at this moment. And he was convicted of his sin. And what do you do about that? What do you do with God? Turn over to Psalm 51. I want to read the first four verses. And we get a snapshot into David's heart as Nathan has convicted him of his guilt. He cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. 
I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to understand what he's saying there, that according to, you can put in there, because of. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm a good guy. The only reason I have any hope is because of how much you love. How big your love is. How big your compassion is. Only because of that do I have a chance to say to you, please blot out my transgression. Wash me. Wash away all my iniquity. You cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. You see, if we have a right character and we're convicted of our sin, it is always there. Now here's the interesting one, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. If you condemn me right now, God, I would say you're just. You're righteous. I deserve it. But the verse 1 is, Only because of your love and compassion do I have a hope that you might be willing to forgive me. David knew his sin had affected everyone. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. It had affected him. It had affected Bathsheba. It had clearly affected Uriah. It had affected the whole nation. But notice what he says, ultimately, I have sinned against you. Because despite all the other damage, what that sin had done, it had driven a wedge between him and God. The God who had made him king, the God who had helped him kill Goliath, the God who had been with him again and again and again and again. And yet he had disobeyed that God. He had walked away from him. And done what he felt like doing. And ultimately the greatest damage. David knew this. The greatest damage was in his own relationship with his God. Because he had rebelled against his God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. He'd said I'm going to do it my way. And that relationship was now severed. There was damage there. Now, that was not the only cost, and we need to talk about that. Our mistakes carry a cost. When we sin, when we do wrong, sin can be forgiven. And David was forgiven. Even though he had sinned, God honored that verse 1, and he did forgive him in God's love and compassion. But what we fail to understand sometimes is, well, if I'm forgiven, then why do I have to face this? There's a difference between forgiveness and the consequences of our choices. And that is a reality we have to come to grips with. It doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven us. We may be forgiven if we approach it like David did, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it doesn't wash away all the consequences. In fact, the damage is something God is trying to protect us from. It's why he says, don't live that way. Don't do that. Because there will be painful consequences. That's how relationships work. It's how people work. It's how life works. And I want you to avoid those consequences. And so when we break how God says to live, there will be pain. 
sin matters. Not just because of some checklist of God. Sin is when life breaks down. Sin causes destruction and harm and pain and death. God's ways produce joy and health and life. David learned that. The baby conceived in his infidelity in taking Bathsheba, that baby died. And God also says that you will have pain in your home because you destroyed a home. And in fact, David's life, his family, becomes a poster child for a dysfunctional family. There is rape among siblings. There is murder among siblings. One of his sons rebels and tries to take David's throne. Uh, Hollywood could never do a script beyond David's family. And God says that's a consequence of your choices. There will be pain. And David has to face that and live with that pain. Now, not in the story, and I've not done this before, but this time I want to do it, and I want to explain why. David didn't just blow it once. And I find this very interesting. And I think we need to see it because there's an important lesson for all of us here. Here was David, this young man with incredible faith and all this potential, a man after God's own heart, whom God says, you are the one I want for my king. So David is selected, and he is blessed by God. He becomes king of the whole 12 tribes. He establishes Jerusalem. He builds um, Israel to one of its greatest high points. And even to this day, any Jew in Israel will say their greatest king ever was David. But David blows it and has this affair with Bathsheba and murders Uriah that we've just talked about. Now, he is a man after God's own heart. He repents. He is truly convicted and sorrowful. And even though he lives with those consequences, he tries to walk with God. But we see at the end of his life, David blows it again. And the reason I want us to look at this briefly is there is a warning for us. When things are going great and we're getting all the green lights, that is a moment of vulnerability. Beware of Satan coming after you in your victories. And that's exactly what happens again. David has this wonderful life of victories and accomplishments for God and he builds the nation. And in those victories, in his, may I say, overconfidence, he opens himself up to again sin against God. The story is recorded in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. Now it seems a little crazy to us because what David does is he says, uh, he sends out his commanders and says, I want you to count the army. Now you've got to picture this is sort of a volunteer army and they're all in their 12 tribes. So it's sort of like the National Guard. And every tribe has their National Guard unit. And David says, I, I, I want to find out just how big my army is. So he sends the officers out and they spend 10 months going all over Israel, counting all the army. And they come back and they report to David. And they say, David, wow, you got a big army. Here's how many you got. 
You're awesome. You're mighty. Look at your power. David says, yeah, I am pretty tough, aren't I? I'm a great king. Now, this is Jim's version. You're not going to find that in 2 Samuel. But I think I'm right on. Because if you turn with me over to 2 Samuel 24, verse 10 is fascinating. David is sitting there. He's got the totals. He's got how mighty he is, how powerful he is. And then look at David's own conviction. David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, No prophet had come to him yet. This is David on his own, realizing what he's done and what was going on inside his head and his heart. I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. David knew, and he knew God knew. David hadn't been depending on God anymore. David was depending on David. And what he could accomplish, and how powerful he was, and how successful he was, and all that he was about. And he knew that in doing that, he had put God in the background. And he blew it again. And David is punished again, and the nation is punished again. Because there's consequences when we go against God, when we go away from God. But what I want you to see in this life of David, with all this good, and these two huge failures, there is a lesson for us. There's good news in this. The good news is that God can handle our sins. We do not have to be perfect to be a man after God's own heart. David was a good, godly man. But he also made some mistakes. And those mistakes cost him and everyone. But God would forgive him. And did. And we can have that same kind of forgiveness. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Sin affects our relationship with God. And sin has to be dealt with. But sin can be forgiven. And we of all people today, more than David, because of what we talked about in communion, because we have a Savior who died on the cross to pay for our sins, we can have a hope of forgiveness. And being restored with God. But the challenge for us is, how do we handle our sin? Do we handle our sin like David did? We aren't going to be good enough. And if you're still trying to be perfect, let it go. <laughs> Just let it go. Because you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to check every box on every day and do everything right. And you know who knows that more than you do? God. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows we can't pull it off. We are weak humans who have been born and lived in a sinful world. That's why we need a Savior. 
challenge for us is what we do when we sin. That's what we need to learn from David in his moments of failure. We don't try and cover it up. We don't try and run away. Notice what David did at the end of his life. He didn't even need a prophet to come to him. He went to God straight away and said, God, I've blown it. I now see. I see what my motives were. I see what I was doing. I see how I was walking away from you. And I'm sorry. I again need your forgiveness. And that's a lesson for us. We have to face our sin as David did. And take responsibility, not try and cover up, deny, justify, blame somebody else. As David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Because ultimately that's what sin does. It harms our relationship with God. And that was the thing Saul didn't do. Two kings sinned, Saul and David. But how they handled that sin is what changed their futures. We have to repent. Truly repent. Not just empty words, I'm sorry. The biblical concept of repentance is a 180 degree U-turn. I'm heading this way and I change and go this way. It involves change. And that's part of what David did. And that's part of what we have to do when we sin, is take it seriously, take responsibility, and change. Not just keep sinning. Admit the wisdom of God's ways, and the pain of our ways. And commit, recommit ourselves to live His way, and follow His path. And be thankful that we have a God who doesn't require us to be perfect. A God who says, follow me. And I will bring you to life. I will forgive you. I remember when I was growing up and trying to figure all this out. We're not supposed to sin. But we're going to sin. But don't sin anymore. But you're in a broken world, so you're going to sin. And I've never forgotten. I asked somebody, I think it was a church camp, a counselor, and said, I, I, I don't get this. I was, I think, in grade school, junior high. How do you put the two together? And he used an analogy that I've never forgotten. Maybe you've heard it before. But he said, it's one thing to walk down the sidewalk in your good clothes and trip on a crack and fall in a mud puddle and get dirty. It's another thing to walk down a sidewalk and see a mud puddle and sit in it and play. We're always going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to get dirty. What God is looking for is not sparkling, always clean clothes. What he's looking for is, are you trying to avoid the mud puddles? Or do you sit down and play? Do you take sin seriously? And if we do, we have a God who says, I'm with you. I am a God of love and compassion. I seek to forgive. Like he did David. If we take sin seriously, like David did.
Let's pray. Father, we can identify with David. We can identify with Psalms 51. Because every one of us sooner or later blows it. And we have no reason to expect you to have to forgive us. We can only appeal to your love and mercy. But Father, help us see that it is not only your love and mercy. We need to take sin seriously like David did. And avoid it with all our power and repent and make changes in our lives. Real changes. Like he did. Because the consequences of sin are so bad and so painful. We don't win. We don't feel better. We sit among the, ra- uh, the, the ashes of our lives. Help us see that. Help us with David. Turn to you. And rest in your grace. Thank you for that kind of love for us. In your son's name, amen.